primary basis of placating wrath is that it is personal, that the one who is angry with you will change that anger, deal with that anger, do something to that anger, and demonstrate something else, love. But at the heart of the gospel is the wrath of God that's poured out upon sin. And that wrath is going to be poured out on Jesus, which is good news, or it's going to be poured out on the unrepentant sinner, which is bad news. Welcome to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, episode 17. We're continuing our spring series covering emotions. This week, we'll be moving on to the topic of anger and wrath. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. You're listening to 1A, a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening, we appreciate you checking us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our website, which is firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the outro at the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe. And while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. Is God angry? What does the Bible have to say to us, especially the New Covenant believer, about the wrath of God? Those are the issues with which we'd like to wrestle today on this episode. First, however, an apology. We had a technical issue while we were making this episode, and Derek's mic didn't record. What this means is that we had to amplify the sound of Derek through my mic, and so you'll hear a little more white noise, and the fidelity on Derek's portion isn't what we'd like it to be. We've got the problem resolved, but this as well as the next episode are a little on the airy side. Now, on to Derek and I discussing anger and wrath. Derek, do you hear that in the background? No, that's the sound of us moving on. We are moving on from love. It's actually generated quite a bit of feedback for us. Uh, there are questions that people have sent in. If people continue to give us feedback here on on this topic and on other ones, we'll make sure to try and do a Q&A at the end. But we're moving on. We're going past love. We're going to do uh, – we're going to talk about our next emotion, which is anger. Now, there's a billboard that you see, Derek, every time you go down to Orlando to teach. Can you tell our listeners what that sign is? What does it say? Disney. No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's Right. Um, and, and forgive my voice here. Um, there is a, a, a huge billboard. Huge billboard. Huge. Huge billboard. <laughs> Uh, that says God is not angry. That's all it says. God is not angry. And, you know, if that's true, why do I need to be saved? From what or whom do I need to be saved? What is the basis of salvation if there is, if God, if there is no anger in God? Now, I suspect that that, uh, is, is a catch-all kind of phrase that, that is meant to, sort of grab your attention, which it certainly does. Uh, there, ha- there was, of course, a huge movement in the 20th century associated with C.H. Dodd. Hmm. Uh, C.H. Dodd, who died in 1973, 
born in the 19th century, so spanned almost the three quarters of the 20th century. He was, of course, hugely significant in the production of the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, which Mm. in Britain was the Bible that caught traction, um, especially among um, scholars Mm. uh, after the King James Version. Um, Then there was the New English Bible and so on, and and then there were 16,000 different translations. But there was a time, I remember when I was converted uh, in 1971, you know, the RSV was the sort of Bible of choice. The problem with the RSV was that it did not contain the word propitiation. One of the pieces of feedback that we've gotten is that we don't always do a great job defining bigger theological terms. So Derek just used the word propitiation, and from the pocket dictionary of theological terms, propitiation is an offering that turns away the wrath of God directed against sin. As an English translation of the Greek uh, word group, uh, the Hilasmos word group in, in or Hilasterion word group in uh, in Greek, and that's because C. H. Dodd was the principal um, translator hmm. of the RSV, and he did not believe in the wrath wrath of God. He he said famously said that that, that wrath in the Bible is impersonal, namely. It was just a law of cause and effect. Bad things happen. When you when you do certain things, bad things happen. And that's the wrath of God. Mm. The wrath of God is this impersonal force or impersonal law uh, that seems to be wholly deterministic. It seems to act according to certain implacable principles that you find in the universe. Of course... Mm. Whenever you begin to talk about this law, you personify it. It has attributes that sound very personal. Mm. Now, now, if you took C.H. Dodd, and let me go with that for a second. If you mm. took C.H. Dodd on his own, uh, at face value, um, th- there's no such thing, really. I, I mean, there's no such thing as impersonal law. Mm. You know, abstract law is a fiction. There's no law in the in the universe that operates solely, purely, on its own merit or by, or, or in accordance with its own power, dependently of God. Uh, I mean, C.S. was not an atheist; he believed in God and believed in the Trinitarian God. But but there's God, and then there's this abstract law that works independently of God. Well, the, hmm. you know, if you give up the wrath of God, you, you give up more than just the wrath of God. You give up the idea of God's control, your sovereignty, you give up a doctrine of providence, that, that things happen because God orders them to happen. So you can't remove this so-called abstract law from the controlling purposes of uh, God. You know, one of the greatest visions in the New Testament is in Revelation 4 and 5, where you have this extraordinary picture of a lamb who has been slain being on a throne, I mean, it's one of the most extraordinary pictures in the New Testament, that the entire universe is under micromanagement by a slain lamb. I mean, to the point of numbering the hairs of our head, of a sparrow that falls to the ground. So there is this micromanagement 
Christological micromanagement of the universe. Mm. That is the defining picture in the book of Revelation. Mm. So, so you can't abstract wrath from God. Besides which, you only have to open a lexicon and and just do some very basic stuff. Look up words like wrath and anger, and then look up words like love and kindness. And love and wrath and anger are going to outdo love and kindness. Mm. There are more references in the Bible to wrath and anger than there are to love and kindness. Mm. This is a lexical fact. Um, you know, when things of Romans one eighteen, uh, as Paul begins to extrapolate um, sin in in all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, reaching the the peroration, there is none righteous, no, not one for all of sin, and come short of the glory of God. He begins that section by saying that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and mm-hmm. unrighteousness of men, who in their unrighteousness suppress hold down the truth so that the the wrath of God is revealed. You know, you can't placate impersonal law. I mean, without personal wrath, there is no salvation. The idea of salvation, the idea of placating the law of gravity. You're at the edge of a cliff and you you stumble and and you're falling and you're falling down. And and you're saying, please, gravity, you know, save me. Right? That's not going to happen. The only the only basis of placating wrath is that it is personal, that that the one who is angry with you will change that anger, deal with that anger, do something to that anger, mm. and demonstrate something else, love, grace, right. whatever it is. But but the idea of placating an impersonal force, a law of cause and effect, a law, a law that bad things happen, doesn't doesn't compute when mm. you think of. Um, Salvation. Now, sorry, you asked a question, and I'm talking. But typically, and I'm and, and I'm speaking now from memory. But you know, Jim Packer's extraordinary book, Knowing God, had a chapter on the, the wrath of God, and he mentioned, as I recall, a couple of things why people find the idea of wrath in God um, difficult. You know, people caricature, and it is a caricature, of course, of Jonathan Edwards' famous 1741 um, New England sermons, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And like a lot of things, you know, most people who criticize that have never actually read it, you know, but um, but it's, it is it is an extraordinary uh, sermon and and certainly deserves to be read, but it's also a sermon in which John Edwards tells it like it is. But there's also a way in which one one can caricature that wrath of God as an uncontrolled fit of emotion. You know, when we think of anger, we think we think of bad temper, generally. I mean, somebody who's angry, we think, oh, they're, they're, they're bad-tempered. So they're right. fitful, they're unpredictable, they're easily... Ignited, impulsive, yes, irrational, mm-hmm. behaving on their feelings or prejudices uh, rather than principle, and all of that is, is is caricature when it comes to God. You know, there are some there are some very strong, lengthy passages in uh, the scriptures 
Isaiah, we're going for wrath and wrath here, right. uh, Isaiah 63, you know, who is he who comes from Basra, whose garments are stained with blood, that, that passage. And it's a passage that's describing on one level a, a soldier coming back from, you know, c- coming off the field of battle, slain hundreds or thousands of people, and his clothes are all spattered in blood and and uh, sorry for the gory illustration, but, but the stuff of, of, of battle, of war. But behind that picture, of course, it is a depiction of God himself. God is the one who has gone into battle uh, and, has, and is slaying his enemies. Uh, that's the picture. But it is a graphic portrayal of the wrath of God. Now, how else do you understand Calvary? You know, what what exactly is Jesus doing at Calvary? Right. That's that's always been my question: is if someone tries to say God isn't angry, tell that to Jesus on the cross. But it's a it's a banal statement, you know, that somebody isn't angry. I mean, there's there's nobody in the world who never gets angry about something. I mean, there may be nice people, you know, but there are times when they get angry. Yeah. If I mean, there are certain things that spark off anger. For some people, it's you know cruelty to animals. When yeah. you see a video of a, a dog that's been just horribly, horribly abused, mm. you know, I watch them. Yeah, they make me angry, really angry. Um, you know, if if you, as a counselor, I mean, when you hear of child abuse, right, or sexual abuse in children, or spousal abuse, yeah. It, if that doesn't make you angry, then surely there's something wrong with you. I mean, that can't be a, a measurement of virtue yeah. that I never get angry about anything. If that's true, and you've taught theological students for decades now, what is the instinct behind people who want to take wrath away from God, even if they place it on some sort of impersonal force? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question. I do think, though that I detect in seminary students, but I, I detect it in Christians generally, a reluctance to talk about the wrath of God. Hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the talk is about grace and forgiveness and mercy and the gospel. But at the heart of the gospel is the wrath of God that's poured out upon sin. And that wrath is going to be poured out on Jesus, yeah. which is good news, or it's going to be poured out on the unrepentant sinner, hmm. which is bad news. Hmm. And that's at the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I do sense um, an uneasiness about speaking about the wrath of God because it, it kind of dampens the atmosphere, and it, and I understand that. And and but I listen to prayers, the few references to the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have a robust understanding of the wrath of God, we have a very weak understanding of the gospel and of what Calvary actually Mm. means. Because at Calvary, the unmitigated wrath of God was poured out. God pours out his wrath, and Romans 1 is saying that the stuff that's around today, the lawlessness that's around today, is the wrath of God. He's not saying that the wrath of God is coming because there's lawlessness. He's actually saying the very opposite, that the lawlessness Mm. is the evidence of the wrath of God, mm. gives them up to their sinful desires. And 
I think that that, you know, that's always mitigated. You know, the, the world isn't as bad as it could be. It's pretty bad, but mm-hmm. it's not as bad as it could be. But on Calvary, the wrath of God was unmitigated. Mm-hmm. The, the, there was no restraint. Jesus was, in effect, in hell. Right. He was suddenly experienced. What is hell? Hell is the experience of the wrath of God, of, of never experiencing his grace. And I think that's what Jesus was experiencing when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that's true, and, and it certainly is for the believer, that God has poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of pouring it out on us, can God ever be angry towards the New Testament, uh, New Covenant believer? Well, I, is it ever appropriate for you to be angry with your children? Yes. And when you are, you know, your children, you walk in, your children are fighting and they're saying, this is mine or this is mine. They're throwing, you know, cupcakes at each other. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're broken. On good days. Yeah. You're talking about a good day at the squire's household. <laughs> right. And, and are you angry with them? Well, of course. Yeah. And it's perfectly, you know, Ephesians 5, you know, be angry and sin not. And, um, is be angry, or or in your anger, do not sin. As ESV slightly makes it a little less, more less than an imperative. But but as I said, I mean, if 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 there's stuff that doesn't make you angry, you know, what are you? I mean, it's part of you know what is wrath? Wrath is the reflex of the holiness of God towards sin. Well, there ought to be a reflex of holiness towards sin. Sin in all of its forms. And shapes and modulations should make us angry. And it's interesting because what I hear you saying is the opposite of what we hear so often in culture. Not to give wrath an excuse or anger an excuse, but if you make the claim that you are free from anger and wrath, you're actually unethical. Well, you know, without getting into party politics, I mean, but part of that narrative is actually being played out right now in the whole reaction to a certain candidate or candidates in the plural, you know, and and what here's the expression of the politics of anger, as though the politics of anger was essentially bad, but every politician is angry about something, Mm. about injustice in some form or another as they perceive it. Mm. So in that sense, there's always anger at injustice, and and that anger uh, manifests itself, but but the, 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 the real issue and, and I guess this is for next time, I suppose, since I've been jabbering here for a long time. Be angry and sin not. You know, how, A, is that ever achievable, and how do you achieve that? Tune in next week, and you'll get to hear me answer Derek's question, and we'll look at anger from a more pragmatic perspective. In the meantime, don't forget to keep sending in your comments and your questions. For contact information, just keep listening. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstprescolumbia.org. That's 1A 
at firstpresscolumbia.org or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, 803-281-1795. 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless. God bless.